Please join me in the opening prayer. God in heaven, we praise you and thank you for this day that you've given to us, this Good Friday. We thank you because it's good only because you are good. Jesus, we thank you for humbly giving your life for each and every one of us and for all the sins of the world. Holy Spirit, we thank you for guiding us, directing us, moving in our lives through every moment of every day. And as we've gathered here today as family, as friends, as community members, to remember the price that you paid, may you remind us, Lord, that you've given your life so that we could have life, that we too have been buried in death with you, to rise in resurrection as you have risen. We thank you for the price that we remember today. We thank you for every drop of blood that was spent. We thank you for your willingness and your great undying love for each of us. As we continue to worship together, may you be glorified, may you be honored, may you be exalted above and beyond all things. We love you with everything within us and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this evening comes from John chapter 18, starting at verse 1, and it goes through John chapter 19, verse 30. And this is what the word of the Lord tells us. It says, after Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. Because Jesus often met, there with, often met there with his disciples. And so Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, For whom are you looking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, For whom are you looking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, you got to love Simon, right? I love Peter. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. So Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, 
went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing around it and warming themselves. And Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case. Did I get that right? Yes. I find no case against him. Oh, wait, is it on the other side? Ah. I didn't flip it over. Sorry about that. I thought that seemed a little fast forward in it. So let me back up a verse or two. Um, so now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. And Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in, in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. So why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they asked him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And again Peter denied it. And at that moment the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews replied, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death that he was to die. So then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? You, your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But, as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate asked him, So, you're a king? 
And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, What is truth? And after he had said this, After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Now, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And they shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a bandit. So then Pilate took Jesus, had him flogged, and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and placed it upon his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail the king of the Jews! And striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. And so Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Here is the man! And when the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again, and he asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus, asked him, or Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? <clears throat> and Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. And therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. And everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. And when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. And he said to the Jews, Here is your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed them over to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin and in Greek. 
And then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But this man said, I am the king of the Jews, Pilate answered. What I have written, I have written. So when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his, his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless. It was woven in one piece from the top. And so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it to see who will get it. And this was to fulfill what the scripture said. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. And meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to its mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amen.
Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, how appropriate it is for us tonight together as a community of churches, especially on this holy night of Good Friday. You know, each of our congregations, they each have their own traditions and their own histories, their own personalities, their own gifts. But tonight, as we gather, we should remember that we gather truly with one mission as congregations, and that is in the community of Lafayette, in the Allen East community, we are here to preach Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. That's our mission uh, uniquely, individually, but also together. That's what God has placed us here to do. And so tonight, I hope to look with you at just what the good news is of Christ crucified. And I pray that, that your heart will be refreshed as we look at the work of Christ for us. And so tonight, I want to look and begin with John 19.30, the end of the Passion reading that we just heard, which says, when Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus' last word in the Gospel of John on the cross is, it is finished. In seminary Greek, everyone learns the word for it is finished. It's one word in Greek here in John 19. It's the word tetelestai. In fact, that's even become a bit of a trendy word. I've seen it on bumper stickers, on car decals, on t-shirts, this word tetelestai. I've even seen tattoos, the guys have had it on their forearms, that this word, it is finished, has become kind of a banner word for many Christians. But in seminary, students are taught this word because it's an example of how the perfect tense is used in grammar. And so, if it's been a while, the perfect tense describes a present state that results from a completed action. In other words, when we get it here in John 19, what we're getting is that what Jesus has come to do is completed. In fact, you can say it was perfected. He has finished what he has come to do. But what the perfect tense in Tetelestai tells us is that this completion the state of being finished or perfected, it remains relevant to us today. On the cross, when Jesus dies, it is over, but it's not just over. It is finished. And it is finished so that now we enjoy the benefits of what he has accomplished. But that raises the question, and now we have to ask, well, what is it? What is finished? What was it that Jesus set out to accomplish? Well, first, we can say that when Jesus says it is finished here on the cross, he means that the fulfillment of scriptures is finished. All of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all make this point. Jesus came to fulfill the scriptures. In fact, even in the story of Jesus' passion, which we just heard, in the gospel of John, that phrase is used. This was to fill with, fulfill what the scriptures say. And the point that the Gospels are getting to is that Jesus himself is the fulfillment of scriptures. And so when Jesus takes his last breath, he is declaring the scriptures fulfilled. In particular, Christ has come to fulfill God's word of promise. Every promise that we read in the Old Testament by God 
is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. These promises are too many to list, but we might remember some of the big ones. In Genesis 3, God promises that Eve's seed is coming to bruise the head of the serpent. Well, Jesus does this. He puts an end to any accusation of Satan. Jesus shines light on the lies of the devil, and he takes away his power. When Satan would have us doubt that God is for us or God is faithful to us, we have Christ to take that power away from Satan. Christ proves God's faithfulness to forgive our sins. When Satan tries to get us to doubt our salvation, all we have to do is point to Christ. Look at Christ. There is my salvation. You'll remember God's promise to Abraham. Through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus does this. Jesus comes to take away the sins of the world, to give the word of faith to the whole world, and therefore to make us all God's children. And so all the world is blessed because of Abraham's seed, that is Jesus the Christ. You remember the promise God makes to David. He says to David, your throne shall be established forever. This is true in Christ. The righteous son of David sits as king forever. The promises we find in the prophets, the promises in Isaiah of comfort, of return from exile, of forgiveness of sins, these are all made true in Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, it is finished, he means all of God's promises are finished, that they have come true through his son. The promises are finished, but they're not over. They're brought into completion for you. Jesus was lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have everlasting life. This is the completion of scripture, that we are fully reconciled to God through the gift of his son. But more than that, the very mission of Christ is finished here in the cross. The Gospel of John makes this clear, because in the Gospel of John, there's especially this one promise, this one identity that's attached to Christ. It is the identity that John the Baptist points to in John chapter 1. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is how Christ fulfills all the scriptures. This is how he finishes them. He becomes the Lamb of God who bears away the sins of the world. This means that Christ has come to put your sins on himself. He makes them his own. He bears them. He carries them. They are his to deal with and no longer yours. He bears them. They are his. And this isn't just a game that God is playing. It's not just a kind of legal fiction. No, Christ actually takes our sins. He takes them on to himself. He bears them in his own body. And he bears the consequences of our sins. And so this is the message that we hold on to on Good Friday. This is the power of the cross. There's nothing else that makes the cross powerful but this, that for our sake Christ was made to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the power of the cross. Christ became sin. He took all of our sins on himself for our behalf. And so the power of the cross that we gather under 
is that your sins are finished. They are ended. They are over. Your righteousness is made complete. And how is this? How can it be? Because Christ has taken your sins from you. Your sins. The ones in which you are most ashamed. The ones in which you would never dare to whisper. The sins you have habitually struggled to fend off. The sins by which you have hurt yourself and others. The sins of selfishness, faithlessness, greed, rebellion, and so on. All of them that you can name and those that you can't. They are no longer your sins because Christ has taken them from you. And so when Christ takes his last breath, he finishes off your sins. They die with him. They're buried with him. They are no longer remembered. Christ has finished them. And if Christ has finished your sins, think what else he has finished. He has finished the fear of death. The sting of death is our judgment under the law as sinners. The fear of death is the fear of being separated from God. That fear is gone. Christ has finished it. The enemy, which we know as death, is defeated. It has no power over us because Christ has taken it into himself. By God's word, Christ walked out of the tomb and declared the death of death. And the death of Christ is the death of death. It is finished. Again, this is what Paul says in Romans. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and has raised them. In faith, you have died to death. You have been given life in Christ. And so you no longer stand accused. The old you is dead. The old sinner is gone. And there is no one left to accuse because Christ is your righteousness. Any accusation against you is finished. Christ took all of the accusations against you and made them his own. And we see this in his suffering and death. Christ was called a liar, a blasphemer. He was called a fraud. He was mocked. All the accusations that rightly apply to you, he bore them for your sake. Even though he was without sin, he was entirely without guilt. He made your guilt his own, and he bore that guilt on his own body. He took the spit of sinners in his face. He took their beatings, took their insults. He took their nails hammered into his hands and his feet. He took the sinner sword into his side. He took the crown of judgment onto himself. He took it all. All that once belonged to you, he has made his own. And he finished it for you. And now you see the full truth of it. What really matters today, what really makes this Good Friday, is that you are finished. All that you were is finished. You once stood condemned, but now you no longer do. You once had all the reason in the world to despair, but now you no longer do. All of the selfishness, all of the hatred, all of that sin which once put a wedge between you and God is finished. It's all finished. Christ has taken it for you. And God has made all of his promises to you come true through the death of Christ. He has made you a new creation. Because of Christ, you are made new. It is finished. You are finished. 
the promises of God are finished in you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He kept his promise. He went to the cross to pay our sins. He went to the tomb to show us that his promise was true, that he was resurrected, and that he would walk among us again, and that he would 
get ready to ascend into heaven and go make a place for us so that we can come and be with him. He told his disciples in just a little while, you will not see me. But in a little while, you will. We need to believe in that. We need to trust that. We need to stand firmly upon the gospel that he preached. And we need to know. We need to know that Sunday's coming. And he will, he will be amongst us. Just like he's been ever since he's been called down here. He will walk with us, teach us, and show us the way. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Son that loved us so much. And we pray this in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Now gather together as one community by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray as our Lord Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now behold, the life-giving cross on which was hung the Savior of the whole world. O come, let us worship him. Behold, the life-giving cross on which was hung the Savior of the whole world. O come, come, let us worship him. Behold, the life-giving cross on which was hung the Savior of the whole world. O come, come, let us worship him. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you. Through your suffering and death, you have given life to the world. 